I'm Drew. And we are on a journey to become better leaders by touring fantastic worlds and inspiring lore by going on a wonder tour. We connect leadership concepts to story context because it sticks to our brains better. You can find out more at wondertourpodcast.com. Woo, Derek, if you thought that the TSA was frustrating, get ready for the TVA. They're going to shake your brain out like a I don't even know what they're going to do with it, but they're poor. my brain got poured like mush out on the floor, and I'm just trying to rebuild here. I'm going to need your help to guide me on this wonder tour. to Wonder Tour, where we are burdened with glorious purpose today. We're looking through Loki, episode one. And Drew, you just recently saw this. What'd you think? Yeah, I'm a curious explorer myself in this, right? So normally when we look at these pieces of media, I've had extensive experience with them. But in this situation, um, we were looking for what would be just right to bridge this next gap into our series on becoming curious explorers. You brought up Loki. This has been something I've been meaning to watch. And I've only seen the first episode here, but I'm loving it so far. You know, you you knew what I would like. So it was an educated guess that this would be a good pick for us. But yeah, I'm already loving it. If I didn't, if I had had more time, I would have finished it. But maybe better as curious explorers going in that I don't have all of the bounding information from episodes two through six of the first season here. I'm just focused on this one episode and the minimal amount of information that we have about the situation given to us thus far. I love it. I think this is a great frame up. Uh, we don't usually have this and um, it was not on purpose, but it inadvertently worked really well for the theme. Um, so I'm really excited for how that's going to play out and I will do my best <clears throat> not to uh, spoil anything. Okay. You have my word. Thank my you. word. Just like a <laughs> just like Loki would say, you have my word. Of course we know Loki's yeah, I was word about to say. nothing. <laughs> yeah, that, that, yeah, so. don't give me Loki's word on this. I need a, a more person of more integrity. <laughs> but, it's a guarantee, brother. All right. <laughs> no, this I like this. I, I mean, number one, I d I don't know how I didn't realize that this was a show about time travel, because I'm usually all in on time travel in general. So this is that's great. Uh, we also did Thor in episode eight, I believe. Yes. Episode nine, one of those two episodes. Eight. Um, eight. Okay, there you go. Of Wonder Tour, we did talk a lot about Loki in that episode. I'm pretty sure we talked as, as much about Loki as we did about Thor. So I'm enthused with Loki as a character, and I really appreciated getting a more long-form version of what's going on with Loki. I mean, heck, Loki is always putting up these projections in the Marvel Cinematic Universe. But when we get to this show, I mean, just in this first episode, finally his projections get torn down. And you get to see what's behind them to some extent. I love how they do the teardown on him. And yeah, the show really is a 
but ultimately ends up being a celebration of who he is. So, you know, I mean, that's as much of a spoiler as you're going to get from me, but. What well, is um, a Disney show? So I'm not expecting, yeah, I'm not expecting it to go too dark. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, I mean, there are, there are some different moments, but, um, you know, I won't, I won't go there. Um, yeah, I mean, I think it's great to learn more about Loki. He's very complex and, um, you know, he's got a lot to teach us. I think that's the biggest thing we got going on here. Right. Um, so we want to talk a little bit about, you know, what it is that he is teaching us with his choices, um, and some of the things he's thinking, so what do you want to start on as far as that goes? Since it's so fresh to you, I'm curious to kind of hear, um, you know, where you want to start with it. It's like all things, I'd like to start with an approach. So if we're entering this new series on becoming curious explorers, I'd like for myself to understand what is our approach to becoming curious explorers, right? Like, how are we going to become these these grand explorers like Cooper and Interstellar, Murph, that are able to do such great things? It's how do we do that, right? And we don't do great things for the good of ourselves. So again, it, it starts with a bit of killing our pride. But let's look at a bit of a contrast here. And this is really the big frame up for the whole episode, but let's just dive right into it. How does Loki approach exploring because he just like i was saying at the beginning he kind of just kind of gets dropped into this box and all the rules are changed on him he's in this you know he was in this other game with the avengers that he was playing and he was he had this strong back game going on he had his strategies he was doing and his projections he was putting up and then he just gets dropped into the tva where none of that even exists at this point pretty much it's all this is like outside of that timeline (laughs) his powers don't work here his you know his deception is they can see through it. So Loki kind of gets he gets a lot of holes poked through him here. And we can contrast that to what's going on with Owen Wilson's character, Mobius, where Mobius seems like he's been doing this for a long time. I have no idea, um, but it, it just seems like he's got a lot of experience doing this type of thing. He's kind of a detective, it looks like um, a time detective, which seems like a really freaking cool job. So I'm, that's one of the things I'm most excited to see is what's going on with Owen Wilson's, you know, investigation into this other version of loki that they're trying to capture or you know i don't even know what other version means at this point but either way so yeah and because he is uh timeless i think that he's not much in a rush right um the only time that they really ever get in a rush is when they're in a timeline and the timeline is starting to collapse on them and they're like well we probably should get out of here um so let me pull out my ipad and go right um, so yeah, there's an interesting thing here. And I want to say that, um, you know, that's funny actually. So the explorers that we have so far on our list for wonder tour, and I'm not saying this is an exhaustive list, obviously it's not, but, um, all three of them were forced into exploring. And I think that's very interesting to kind of put in the back of our mind as we go through this, this volume of wonder tour, um, about, Uh, being curious explorers is you know how often are we forced into it versus we get to do it because we get to do it right Um, because they're those are two totally different situations they are Um, i would push you to look even further i mean we ready player one wade watts wade watts was absolutely a curious explorer it was only his curiosity 
that allowed him to crack Halliday's code in the game that he was playing, right? He he chose to play that game and he chose to be a curious explorer. And so I think that's a good point, though. For most of us, we're not thrust into this curious explorer role. We choose it for ourselves. And so there are some differences and some things are the same when we look at somebody like Loki who's thrust into it. Yeah, I mean, so if you look at life, normal life outside of movies, and I, I'm glad that you brought that up because I think that, you know, as we were, as you were talking there, this is always happens. This is this is the beauty of the Wonder Tour, honestly. Um, it's like my therapy session or some sort. <laughs> but anyway, it's like when you bring up these things, like these things start to come to mind in my life. And, it's, and so for me, uh, you know, when I think about curiosity and having it forced or not, um, you know, in a movie, in some kind of a story, we really do see the resolution of that curiosity in short order. However, curiosity in real life, I think, is a more arduous, long process. And you're really moving granules of sand. Uh, and I don't want to bore everybody with that fact, but I do want to th- keep that at the back of the discussion and say, you know, in real life, this may be how curiosity plays out. There's not necessarily the existential threat that you get to resolve in the course of a week, right? Well, that's it a great really point. Like that. Yeah, it's a it's a long buildup of curiosity for the payoff, and the payoff can be in all different ways. But yeah, I mean, you don't, to use a bad example of it, right? You don't get into a new space, a new business, and just immediately expect there to be a, you know, oh, I'm learning this new domain, this new industry. I've never done sales before, you know, marketing before, but. I'm moving over from a different different world over here, and now I'm going into that. It's like there's not an immediate payoff. It's not just like a 40-minute episode of Loki or whatever, where at the end you're like learning all these different things. It's it's a long, drawn-out process where you need to wake up and be curious every day. That way you can learn the things that you need to know to be a better leader for the for yourself and others. Now we can go back to, I don't know, how he's thrust into this um I don't know. Do you want to give uh, like a particular uh, angle here? Yeah. Uh, yeah. I, I want to give a particular, I do want to give one specific angle here. Loki seems to have his arms crossed a lot of the time. Um, I don't know. It's, I don't know if it's universal, but having your arms crossed to me is generally like you're guarded, you're protective, you're not necessarily trusting of the person across from you. Um, that's the way that I was taught it again. So don't, hear me out and say that's universal, but it seems to be that way. And I think it's that way on purpose in here where Loki is very guarded. He's very uncomfortable. And so he's crossing his arms and protecting himself throughout these, a lot of these scenes early on. It's actually, I think now that I'm thinking back, I think he does that fairly often because he's always trying to protect his back game. He has such an impeccable back game that where he doesn't want to reveal the move, the strategic moves that he, in the manipulations he's doing in the back until they get, um, until it's, it's the right time for him to be able to capitalize on them. So I want to start with that, that Loki's model for exploration is to be very, very guarded. And we can see this in multiple different ways. I mean, he doesn't want to accept that the things that are happening around him aren't just a projection. Because, again, Loki's a projection guy. That's one of his abilities is he can put up these projections. And so his, his immediate instinct is to trust that his prior understanding is, you know, his ability, his internal understanding of how the universe works or the multiverse works is good enough to un- explain and understand this exact situation. So he's like, oh yeah, they're just projections is kind of how he's thinking about it. Like, I, I understand this, this is all fake. And he refuses to get the ticket out to give to the ticket person at the court. And then suddenly 
the the other guy that's there gets pruned and you start to see like oh he turns and he's like maybe wait maybe i need to consider that this might be for real or that at least it's in my best interest to comply with what's going on here absolutely you know he yeah he you know when you are in the business of projections i love what you said there when you're in the business of projections you constantly think other people are doing what you're doing i think that's probably a mistake of curiosity right there so maybe that's a good one to kind of uh note and tease out uh for a second here which is when you're being curious you cannot assume that everyone sees the situation the same way you do um what do you think about that yeah curiosity one of the base points of curiosity is an understanding that your perspective is your perspective. If you're discovering something for the first time, for you it may not be the first time for everybody. Or you know what you're discovering somebody else may be seeing or do it using in a completely different way for them. So recognizing that my perspective is just a slice of, you know, I'm only seeing a slice of reality here versus what actually exists is really important. Loki he, I mean, he comes in with a lot of hubris here, right? It's obvious that we can poke holes in that. Um, but again, we want to learn from Loki and not just, you know, say that, well, I would never be like Loki because we we often are like Loki in this type of situation. We do come in. And so let's talk about what type of a model does Loki use to try, as he's dropped into a new space, what type of a model is he using to try to explore that space? Well, I think one of the things that we talked about was that he uses a primarily predictive model and you mentioned guarding, so he's guarded and predictive. So he's not willing to give anything into the situation uh, more so than his primary persona, which is that he's a god and that he should be basically bowed down to. Um, and so we can talk a minute about the shattering that happens Um here in a second but basically he's making predictions about um all kinds of things isn't he yeah every time that something new is coming up and i I love this i was like holy cow how have i not seen this before because as he's kind of going down the elevator and like running into the robot (laughs) the different people and stuff it is so great how off the walls it is this is exactly my type of content where it's just like, all right, it's I don't know where anything's coming from, but every scene or every you know every shot has something new that it's bringing in, and you you have to piece it all together and understand why it why it all exists. He's kind of taking each shot individually. It seems to me, at least for the first like long leg of his you know of this episode, he takes each shot individually at face value. Well, you know it's Loki, so he's never quite taking things at face value, but he's kind of taking in his senses. And immediately interpreting, and you, you called it a predictive model, and that's kind of what's happening, right? He's taking in all the different variables that are within sensory range of him, and he's trying to make a prediction based on his prior knowledge of what's what's happening and what's going to happen. And through that, he it seemingly continuously fails, right? Every time he's try, he tries to make a prediction here, because he's in he's outside of a, a, a timeline. I mean, he's outside of time. He's never been outside of time before. Like he he says he's never seen, he didn't even know this existed. So he's always existed inside of time. Now he exists in like another dimension, essentially, with an additional dimension of time. And he's trying to use his models from the, you know, the sacred timeline, the one reality that he's been a part of 
And those models are just failing to make accurate predictions for him. And then and he keeps, you know, he gets the chair pulled out from under him, so to speak. <laughs> he thought his choices were his own, you know. And they are and they're not when somebody finally steps in and stops the choice that you made. Um, so it's it's definitely, you know, I mean, he's learning a lot, but he it, it's hard. You know, when you have great power and then you walk into a situation where, you know, you have to assume or you start to assume that everyone is less powerful than you, you know, you inevitably end up in a situation where, you know, you're, you know, scoffing at them and it's time to be humbled. Right. And that's what he got was humbled. I think the most humbling one, and I don't know what you think, but the most humbling one that I can think of is when uh, he has to keep signing the paper of things that he said. And I mean, I don't know. I thought about it. Like after you got done talking just a second, ago, I was like, now, Drew, I need you to sign a paper of the things that you just said. <laughs> so, and how does that make you feel? You know, it, it makes you, you know, like you really don't want to respond anymore. So that's like a way of, you know, shutting him, shutting him up, you know, of sorts, right? Because he has to keep signing a paper every time he says something else. So he just kind of zips it from that point. So right then they're kind of sending him a signal like, will you just shut up already? <laughs> you know? Yeah, it's like they're putting a gate. Exactly. They're kind of putting a gate because they're, they're going to have these people coming into the TVA that didn't even know the TVA existed and they're not these are going to be prideful people because a lot of them are time criminals and stuff like that. So they are, <laughs> they're coming in here and they, they think they're powerful. They think they can get away with, you know, they have the criminal kind of background. They think they can get away with anything. There's like this level of intelligence of criminals generally where they think they won't get caught. And so they're, they're coming in there and they've set up this gate. Like, does it, what's the point of him having to actually sign off on everything he's ever said? Probably nothing other than to kill his pride that he has to accept. Like, look, we have everything that you've ever said. And if that is the case, then that knocks him down a peg. He's his his intelligence is not as great as theirs, and he now has to surrender to them. And he does finally in the end, right? He finally gets down to that point where he's just like, okay, you know. Um, although it takes takes the entire show to get there, um, and so we can go to our. I think we can go to our moment at this point um, where he does get to bounce around a little bit in the TVA. And he gets away from Mobius for a bit. And he finds Infinity Stones in a desk drawer, like common paper clips or paperweights. And he says, is this the greatest power in the universe? And I believe inferred by that, he means the TVA. Because yeah, in that's... the end, he also says the TVA is formidable. So, Yeah, he... He's looking for his Tesseract so that he can leave because the Tesseract brought him there more or less, not directly, but he created a variant in the timeline and then he was brought there by the TVA. But yeah, he goes and he finds the Tesseract and it's powerless. <laughs> the greatest power in his timeline is powerless here. And he starts to realize like, huh, I was, you know, he was getting power from the Tesseract so if the Tesseract doesn't even have any power, like maybe it's time to surrender or maybe it's time to reconsider the predictive models that my brain has been using to try to create an understanding of this world. So this is a perfect point when we talk about this moment 
to bring in humility. So we, up until this point, haven't really talked about Mobius. Mobius is very much a foil um, to Loki's character. Again, for those of you who haven't been in you know English class in many years and you're like grasping for straws there, right? The foil is kind of the opposite that the contrast to the character that or to the protagonist that brings out something, you know, they bring out things in each other by having those contrasting approaches to life or characters or personality traits, etc. So Mobius is really his foil. Mobius is cool, calm, and humble. He Mobius is never jumping to conclusions about Loki, even though it at the end it comes out that he's been studying Loki. So he has a lot of information about Loki, right? But he's not he's not tacking on these predictions. He approaches discovery with humility. And I, I just want to take a second to just think about who Mobius is here. Mobius has been jumping around timelines for I don't know how many, you know, I don't, I don't know how long. There is no time here. Maybe essentially he operates outside of 3D space. So he could have been jumping around forever doing this as, you know, for all of time, essentially, he has been uh, out here protecting the sacred timeline. So he seems to be a really good time detective, too. At least the way the other characters interact with him, like maybe he's a little bit out there, but they trust him. He has good relationships. So, so there's something about him. I'm like, does he have some skill set? Does he have, you know, is it is he has learned a way to approach this. It's not the only way necessarily, but he has a model to approach discovery. And it seems that he is super curious. I mean, Owen Wilson was a perfect character to play this role. Just his voice when he asks questions and stuff like that. He comes off as so curious. And you just it's just so different than what you're seeing with Loki, who is trying to put everything inside of a box that he already knows. Instead, Mobius, because he's seen so many things and probably been wrong about what he's thought so many times, his frame of reference is like, I'm just going to come into this with humility, acting like I don't know what's going to happen and how it's going to happen. And I'll work from there where Loki comes in and he's like, well, I'll come in assuming I'm smarter than everybody else and I can just predict what's going to happen next and get out and I'll always be one step ahead of them. Well, I was going to say that um, humility tends to have goals that are more realistic and Loki had more of like this, I'm going to zap you and I'm going to zap you and I'm going to zap you, brother, and I'm going to zap you. And and so, you know, like that's kind of his goal. And and he's going to become, uh, what did he say? The leader of Midgard, right? That was this thing. Like, he, I'm going to become the ruler of Midgard. And, and I love how Mobius, so humility in a way can mock pride. And he, and he did it like this. He said, don't you want to be king of space? <laughs> That's so funny when he says king of space, right? Um, so, you know, in a way, humility already knows uh, where pride's going to go full circle. And so humility says to pride, um, I like this personification of humility and pride. Humility says to pride, uh, why don't you go bigger? <laughs> because humility knows that pride's going to collapse and become humility, right? And so I yep. think that's the wisdom that humility has. You know, if you had a personification of humility here, um, I think that's, I don't know, that that's kind of how it resonates for me there between the two of them. So I, I appreciate you bringing the conversation. up that conversation. 
Yeah, the conversation <laughs> between pride and humility, that's really good. The proverb, pride comes before a fall, right? Hubris. Hubris is like the story of humility and pride interacting, right? It's like, hey, humility humility's playing the long game here. Humility knows that pride eventually trips and falls. It's as soon as you get out in front of what you know, you try to you, you outstrip the organic growth rate, as we say sometimes on here. Pride tries to outstrip the organic growth rate to get it, you know, to pull one over on other people and eventually just blows up in your face. It's that's just the way that the world works. Humility is the long game. So let's talk a little bit about uh, how these different models interact with each other, because I, I don't want to just say, well, I, I guess let's come up with a what is Mobius's model here, right? So Mobius's model looks like he he approaches things with humility, but what does that actually mean? How can we apply that into not necessarily a formula, but a model for ourselves? I think what he does is he takes everything in, not just at face value, but he takes it in as is, kind of being like, okay, this is what I see. Let me just let me draw in all of this sense, all, using my senses, all of this information, and then I'm going to process it in chunks. And as I get more information, you know, I'll start to form up pictures. And then the way that I'm imagining it is I'm kind of like closing my eyes and I'm seeing like, okay, I have all this information. I'm like using it to draw this image or this model. And then I get new pieces of information in and I'm reshaping the model. I'm like, no, you know, throw that part away. I'm, I'm almost thinking about it the way that Tony Stark designed things in Iron Man, right? Where he's got this like 3D images and he's like, nope, pull that out and like push this in. And it's like you're constantly reshaping the model in your head from a point of humility, knowing that you don't have all the information. And then as things start to crystallize, that's where we start to say like, okay, lock that piece in place. And then I'm gonna start moving things around it. Not to say that locking that piece in place means it's it's absolute truth, but just that that's something we wanna hold. That, that combination of variables into that sort of a model that I can see in my head, like that's something I wanna hold in place while I start to change other things around it. That seems to be the model that Mobius uses where he's just always looking for more, he's a detective, right? So he's always looking for more information. And as he gets that information, he's slowly and methodically putting together a model of what could or should or you know happen in these situations. But he's never assuming that his current model is the only model because at that point, that's where you start to trip and fall. Well, and I think that it's a great point to put the label on that, to say that is a naive way, right, of being curious. And then if you contrast how Loki builds uh, the model, right, you talked about how, you know, it's like Tony Stark, you're building it, you know, incrementally. Um, <clears throat> a lot of those sequences in, in the Iron Man movies, you know, were all about incrementally changing the suit. Um, so if we look at the way Loki's doing it here, it's almost like he uses his imagination to exaggerate and make a prediction, right, based on previous models. And so he jumps straight to the end and is forced to subtract from his model. So I, you know, I know that you feel the same way, but predictive versus naive curiosity, there's no really wrong answer here. It's just both have consequences. Um, we haven't really talked much about the consequences of naive model making. So maybe we should talk about that uh, here in a second. Um, but essentially, I think they're two sides of the same coin. Um, what do you think about that? This is it. We're getting to where we were hoping to, I think, which is what is our approach to becoming curious explorers? So now we have these two models for exploration. 
we have a predictive model and a naive model. So the, the predictive model we've kind of talked about again, we get that it has, you know, the positives are that you're very quickly able to jump to conclusions, you're able to act fast, you're able to potentially make, you know, quick decisions that will give you an advantage in the game that you're playing because the others may not be moving as fast. And in a naive model, you're going to get more accuracy out of that model and you're going to have humility. You're going to have more humility baked into it, which is really, really important. So I think the downside of the naive model is just if you if you operate too naively or it can sometimes become lazy where you're just experiencing things, but you're not creating models of how everything operates together. And again, there's times in life like if you're just if you're out there and you're in Hawaii and you're looking at a waterfall like you don't need a model to pull it all together, right? Like that's something I fall prey to. <laughs> so I'm like sitting here like, oh, let me map this on to like things like, no, just experience it. But when you're playing a game like business, right? You know, you're playing in so, a sort of a game, you want to ensure that you are using the right things, the right tools at the right time, the right approaches. And so the naive model, if that's the only thing that you employ, is gonna make you too slow to adapt. It's gonna make you, you're probably not gonna be capable of, of generating a competitive advantage because you're not going to take risks. The predictive model can be risky when you use it, but if you know when to use it, I think that's really uh, so much of being able to wield it. And so I, I like the idea of using the predictive model in a flash and then flipping back. So I, I feel, you know, now that we're bringing this up, I feel like I go back and forth between naive and predictive depending on the situation and it could be if you start to feel those uh i don't know gut inklings is about the best way i can say it um you just start to think wait a minute i think i've seen this before and you have these outer markers of something that you've seen before maybe that's the point where you flip over to the predictive model and go ahead and use it capitalize on it uh, but if you start to get pushback and i think this is what we learned from loki you know, you start to get pushback and resistance to whether that model is applicable or not. There could be some consequences there. They could be negative, like in Loki's case, um, where you say, I've got to go back to a naive model. And I, I want to point to an example where he does go to a naive model. Um, so he goes into, let me, okay, give me all the records from beginning of time. No, 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 that's classified. Give me all the records from the beginning of the TVA. That's uh, classified. Um, is that in this episode? No, it's not in this episode. I it's okay. Keep going. Out. Keep going. Well, okay. Okay. I, so essentially in later episodes, you find out that, you know, Loki, you know, after he's been broken in this kind of first episode, again, Drew, I promised you no spoilers, but sorry, I had to bring a little bit in here. He does come back around to a more Mobius method, which, and which was basically assigned to him by Mobius um go and look at all the files on the tva variant um and so it's interesting right because he has to go through and study himself essentially and i think this is the ultimate in humility so i love how it resonates though uh with what we've talked about and that's why i want to bring it in because essentially you know he has to be naive a little bit about himself and isn't that the hardest person to be naive about is ourselves <laughs> It's so hard to be naive about ourselves. Yeah, that's that's perfect because we know so much about ourselves and we we actually feel like we know too much, right? We know the deep dark secrets and as a result we we don't trust ourselves. So it's very hard to be naive about ourselves. We want to be very formulaic in how we operate most of the time. 
and it just doesn't actually work like that. So let's go to episode one to continue this talk about like the interactivity between the naive model and the predictive model. Uh, just because again, I haven't seen the later episodes. That was a good example though. With the let's look at Mobius because I what I don't want to say is that we're just comparing and contrasting Mobius and Loki, and one uses predictive and one uses naive. No, I want to say that Mobius deploys both models. So let's talk about when Loki quote unquote escapes. So in this, you know, Mobius leaves him alone in the room with the projector. And I, I don't know, again, I haven't seen any later episodes, so I don't exactly know what's happening here, but you got to imagine like Mobius has seen a lot of things. He knows he, he has studied Loki. He knows that Loki is going to try to escape yet. He does it anyway. Right. So what's happening here? He has spent this time with the naive model and now he's making he's switching over to a predictive model here. He's saying, I'm going to leave and Loki is going to watch the tape one way or the other. And he's going to find out what happens to him, what his quote, what his glorious purpose is actually. Right. He sees his end with Thanos. He's going to try to escape. He might find the infinity. You know, he doesn't know exactly what's going to happen here. I don't think yet. He makes a prediction that Loki will not find the cracks in the TVA. He will end up back in this room and I'll walk back in and now Loki will have been broken or he'll have surrendered. Then we can start work, right? So he switches from this naive model of understanding everything to a predictive model of I'm going to make a play in the game and see how this, you know, this move turns out. And he, but based on all the information he's gathered and kind of these models that he's built in his head processing in chunks, he understands who Loki is. He understands Loki's Loki's background, Loki's you know his past, present, and future, and he's going to go ahead and move forward with the prediction, and it's successful, right? Because he, but but again, in order to deploy a predictive model, we must first deploy a naive model. We cannot start with the predictive model. There's definitely wisdom in starting with a naive model, um, especially when things are extremely uncertain. And I think it takes wisdom to know when to flip between one and the other, um, which I think we're trying to establish here today, right? We're trying to establish, um, you know, kind of the trigger, some of the cues. So if you were to give me some cues, what would be some cues that you would read in a situation to flip over from naive to predictive? Wow, that's a great question. I love it. So for me, I, what I'm looking for is, well, this is my number one. If I can get this, this is best, is an aha moment. Aha moments are really good to switch to predictive. When you have an aha moment, when you can see things fairly clearly, you don't, a lot of times aha moments don't last because you can see it clearly. And like I run to a whiteboard or a piece of paper to draw it up as fast as possible. What I can see, I'm essentially, what I'm doing is I'm drawing a visual representation of this model of connected information in my head. And then I'm going to utilize that to make a prediction or make a move on the game board next. So for me, my number one way that I like to think about that is do I have an aha moment, right? And in this situation, we can go back. There is maybe it's planned, a planned aha moment or whatever, but Owen, Owen Wilson, um, Mobius, he sees what he sees his reaction, Loki's reaction to his mother's death. And he now knows that he can make the play. Basically, he has the aha moment. Loki, we broke the, you know, the, the mold with Loki a little bit. We broke from the front game to the back game. Now is the time to allow him to, you know, Loki to understand for himself. Let's create that space on the game board for him to make a move. And then when he ends up back in the same spot, he'll have processed some things and he'll be ready to move forward. So 
it's an aha moment is a really good situation when you can when, where you can do that. Can you think of any other situations or, you know, maybe less obvious moments where you can move from naive to predictive? Um, I think sometimes there's a cue of the game where you're just getting forced um, and you may just have to conclude the naive session. Um, <clears throat> I, I want to say that sometimes you conclude a naive curiosity session and you may not have the results of that yet. So you have to kind of trust yourself and you have to say to yourself, I will figure it out. I do believe I've gathered all the data in a raw form and I just need to sleep on it for a few nights. I need to cycle on it for a bit, whatever it may be. You, another thing that, you know, I do when I'm forced out of it because I need to make a move is I make a short term move that gets, keeps the game moving, but doesn't necessarily preclude me from pivoting in the next move. Right. So I try to make a move, get the people off my back or get the whatever pressure off. And then that buys me a little more time to be naive. So I can go back, I can be naive some more, uh, pull in some more knowledge, let it process, let it gel together, and then go back and make a better move the next time, which is going to be in the predictive space because you learned X, Y, and Z from the naive part of the process, right? I love that. That was perfect, right? So the urgency, another way that we know that we have to move from naive to predictive is urgency. When the outside environment dictates it or when another player in the game confronts you, that can be a time where you have to move to a predictive move. Essentially, you have to consolidate information from the naive state into a model, and now you have to make a move. But what you just said there is critical. It is recognize that when you're making that move, that move is a, you know, your predictive model, you're making a decision and what you can do, you do not have to make a winner takes all type of a decision there. And sometimes you'll, sometimes you'll be forced in and have to. So again, but most of the time you can make a pivot that allows you flexibility and that forces you to move forward now or forces you to, to gain positioning now against the rest of the game board. But also allows you the flexibility in the future to continue to make different moves and to learn more. So when you get hit with urgency, the outside, you know, the aha moment is the inside, you know, version of the uh, of the move from naive to predictive. It's you yourself recognizing your model is good enough to make a prediction on. The urgency is the outside telling you that you have to make a prediction based on it. And when that happens, that's where we want to be specifically careful that because we probably don't have the aha moment yet that we need to try to make a move that gives us good positioning versus that takes us all the way to the end of the game, right? We want to make a positioning move in that scenario versus a end game move because we don't have the aha moment that we would like to have to make an end game move. That's really good because <clears throat> you're showing the iteration in games, which is really important. And it's not, something that we super dwelled on actually in our game theory uh, volume, which was kind of iterating in a game on a particular decision and making it in chunks. So I like how this is kind of coming out on the tail end of what we talked about with game theory. And as we said before, that if we roll back, uh, sorry, if we go forward in one or two, or as we go forward, we're going to build on these concepts and they're going to become higher level concepts because what we're trying to do right is become better leaders and become better leaders by having these higher and higher level concepts 
to be able to really unwind, honestly, what we've done for years in our careers. I mean, that's that's what I'm doing here. I know that's what you're doing here. Um, you're going back and you're thinking of specific situations in which, you know, you switched from naive to predictive, predictive to naive. And, and uh, as one of our friends put it, you know, you're basically putting labels on something that we don't have labels for. And I love that because that that really is the process, I think, of creating knowledge um, and then curating that knowledge into wisdom is what we're trying to do on this tour. And and so um, I think this is really good having this. Um, one thing I would say is af- as we have talked about Mobius versus Loki, I think uh, I, this is where I like to bring in the 80-20 model uh, ish. So Mobius is essentially 80% naive, 20% predictive. Loki, I would you know, just throw it out there that he is 80% predictive and 20% naive. And maybe as the story goes, they learn to be not exactly 50, 50, because I don't think it's ever 50, 50. I think that ratio is always changing. What do you think? Yeah, that's a good way to try to bring some concreteness to this. It's just to put some percentages on it. Yeah. We want to come to center and use this, use each model that we have properly. So different, personalities will benefit more from spending more time in the naive phase because they can get more out of it versus spending more time in the predictive phase. I mean, it's, yeah, I I think it's something that we grapple with each personally. And then as, as teams and, and units of humans working together, we have to grapple with what is the right amount of time to spend in each of these phases. But the point of that all being the point, there is balance. I like what you said there about personalities and how, um, and now, I just want to preface this. I'm not going into Enneagram. (laughs) So I just want you to know. So uh, all I was going to say was, is that I think it's interesting. Let's talk about this for a second, because I think we got a few minutes left here. Let's talk about what keeps you in your, what, what kind of gravity pulls you down from going in predictive? What kind of gravity pulls you down from going into naive? Okay. We've kind of talked about what pushes you forward into it, but what, pulls you back let's say that predictive like for instance loki you know that was his typical thing but let's bust out of loki now let's think about somebody who just doesn't want to predict right why do they not want to predict and then let's talk about somebody who doesn't want to be naive why don't they want to be naive oh boy well now you're asking me to make predictions before i've finished my naive state understanding of the model (laughs) but if that is, uh, we can, so let's just try like, okay, let's get our own medicine here. Then let's try to have like naively talk about it. Cause that's what we do. I mean, it's funny enough, right? There's a metal level of this naive and predictive state that we're doing every episode on the wonder tour where we're just understanding things. And then we're trying to make predictions. You, you know, we're trying to create some sort of a model that, that is a little bit more concrete, but if you're talking about why somebody stays in the naive state too long, um, Lack of confidence, generally, that's in humans. I see that it's just the lack of confidence to make a bold prediction. And again, that might not be fully on them. It might be on the fact that they're they've never been given that confidence from somebody else to make that. So a lot of times I've seen that in business, a self-fulfilling prophecy um, where you're not giving somebody you're not, you're not having confidence in one of your team members to make the call and to enter that predictive state. And so they don't enter the predictive state. And then in their performance reviews, you're like, why aren't you entering the predictive state? Like, come on, you need to be bold. You need to be courageous. And in the end, it's kind of, 
you know, it's a chicken or the egg thing. You have to figure out a way as a leader to help others to move from the naive to the predictive state. And now this is great because now we're talking about as leaders, how do we help develop this in others? Now, if we flip the other way, why do people off too often operate in the predictive state? We've already talked about that. It's usually pride. Um, it's because they've been right many times in the past and they make the assumption that, or I guess it could be pride, right? It, there are other, many other things it could be, but pride is probably the primary piece of the pie chart of why people stay in the predictive state because they've been very successful in the past by being in the predictive state. And so they make the assumption that they will continue to be successful in the future. I mean, we see this all the time, right? When people are riding high on their gains in, in the stocks they've been investing in, they they continue to do it, right? When people are on a hot streak, when they're you know they're doing sports gambling, they think they're not they're never going to fall through. They must be some genius, and then and then they go through that stage until of you're not exactly exactly until you're not yeah. <clears throat> um, I would yeah, I like what you said there. I think the other thing with naive, um, you know, obviously the way to kind of get somebody out of that maybe is to set a less bold decision to make. So how do you get somebody out of it? It's just got to be bold for them. It doesn't have to be bold in the absolute sense. And I think that's one way to get out of that. Um, but uh, I love what you said about the predictive, you know, piece. And it, it really is very much like, you know, I mean, what Loki's embodying here, right? Which is, I've seen this before. I've seen this before. I've seen this before. These people will fall um, until they don't, <laughs> right? So yeah, he just tries to map the current situation to his to the models in his head. And it's it, like he's assuming it's a one for one match and it's just not. Yeah. Prediction is something you lean into and it, it almost it almost feeds your pride. Right. When you're right. So I think that's the key thing that I want to take away from predictive is when you're right. Put that as a feather in your hat. Right. On your cap, I should say. Um, however. Don't you know bet at all just on one prediction being right because your next one may not be right and i think that's where flipping back into naive mode you know and having the wisdom to do that is super important because you'll have these breakthrough moments i think this is where um and we want to get we want to get to limit breaking at some point right um you know it's 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 going to get there we're 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 making our way towards it but you have these moments where you have a limit break. Well, that is where you literally have predicted your potential and your potential exceeded your prediction. And that truly is a limit break. Um, and so we'll get to that eventually. But I think that's interesting because when you get that and you see it and you see the concrete evidence that you have broken through, you are in a conundrum right there. You could be prideful. Right. Or you could flip back and say, I got to be humble now and explore the fact, how did I break through here? How was I right in my prediction versus I'm going to be right in my next prediction? I don't need to do any other side work um, <clears throat> because what happens is you end up on a branch. And it's funny because you you kind of branch from your timeline. You know, if you keep going on the prediction, it's like a branch on the timeline and you get further and further out and it will collapse on you. <laughs> Eventually the TVA shows up. You can't just keep yeah. going out on that, on your variation on the timeline forever. That's right. And you only have so many units before that happens. So, um, yeah, that's brilliant. I, I think yeah. I like it. I like the, the, the model of putting a feather in your cap 
when you're successful, when you when you write, when your prediction succeeds versus wearing a gold medal around your neck. I think just a simple analogy. But the problem is when you start to wear a lot of gold medals around your neck, you start to think that people see you differently. You know, we see this all the time. It's it, it, this is psychology. You know, and humans, the more successful they are, the more they think they can get away with anything. It's like there's almost no way around that. <laughs> the more successful you are, the yep. more you think you can get away with things, the more you think that you're special. And that's where we need to, like you said, each time have a reflection and a constant dose of like humility and moving back to the naive and saying, I'm not OK, I'm not going to keep reentering the predictive cycle. I'm going to stop for a minute here. Learn, learn what I can. Make sure I recognize that a lot of this is probably chance, not my own skill and abilities or, you know, my team's abilities and stuff. Even we want to believe in other people, but we don't want to be you know, stupid and, and just thinking that like because we because we succeeded, it was because we were right. A lot of times we succeed because we we did the right process and not because we made one right call, right? We succeed. Now this is it. This is here we'll let's bring it together at the end on this. When you succeed with a predictive model, recognize it is because of the time spent in the naive state. I like that. So let's wrap yeah, it all up here, Derek. Yeah, that's good. I'm just reflecting at you know as you were saying it. So um yeah, let's wrap it up. What do you want to say? Give you the, yeah, I feel like at the end of a long episode like this, let's give a quick recap of the kind of model that we come up with here. So number one, we talked about the we, our approach to exploring. We can have different models. We have a predictive model. We have a naive model. Those two models have pros and cons each to them. What we want to do is interweave those models to become curious explorers. So with that, you know, we need some scaling of the two models. We need to make sure, number one, that we start with humility, which means we usually begin with a naive model. Then we start to develop a predictive model. How do we do that? We talked about two examples of when to when to make the pivot from naive to predictive, being the aha moment and the urgency from outside of you. Something in the game is causing you to need to make a move. And then lastly, we talked about how do you get when you're done with the predictive state or when, once you've made a prediction and you're scoring your prediction to see how you did on it we talked about how you then de-escalate back into the naive model where we we take what we learned from the predictive and reincorporate it and rebuild our model to understand what we you know the best pieces of everything that we've just learned from the predictive state man that's perfect just like a tesseract I love it. Um, <clears throat> all right. Well, if you had anything else, if you had uh, some questions or some other thoughts on top of that, deep philosophical thoughts or just trite phrases, uh, it's all there on the Wonder Tour on Twitter. And next time, candy corns, candy canes, syrup. What am I talking about, Drew? Buddy the Elf, baby. We're talking about Elf just in time for Christmas. This is one of everybody's favorite movies, seemingly. So I'm excited. Uh, there is just a sense of curiosity and discovery that Buddy the Elf brings to every single moment of life. And how can we become more like Buddy the Elf? And I'm curious to see if he'll have any predictive moments. So we'll find out. Because we all know that he's kind of railing on the uh, the, the naive, right? So we'll, we'll see. We'll see how that – if that train derails over to predictive. But uh, all right. Well, uh, thanks for listening. And remember, not all who wonder are lost. We'll see you next time.